day out. Teachers, my wife is one of you, so good morning again. Uh, today's reading is Colossians 1, 15 through 23. Uh, if y'all would stand and read it with me. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Good morning again. I want to, on behalf of Tall Point staff and elders, again, MDO teachers, uh, thank you for what you do. Um, you know, your job is already hard enough, and then you have to put up with me. Um, and then you have to put up with my sons, uh, which that's one thing that the Crawl Point congregation can resonate with. Uh, Jude and Grant, uh, they could lead a person to drink. And so, but... Um, not me, though. <coughs> so, but uh, I am thankful for what you do in the ministry that you have here at Tall Point Baptist Church. You deal with broken families uh, four days a week. And uh, I think of some of the names, when I see your faces, some of the names of the kids that we have in our program uh, that are just heartbreaking scenarios. And so um, we want you to know that we support you in what you do. And we believe that this is a, a footprint in our city and in our world. And I want to thank Caitlin for what she does and her leadership in the program. I, I do think we're making impacts in Baton Rouge and across the world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, well, um, let's begin just looking at uh, Colossians 1, 15 through 23. And uh, if this is your first Sunday with us, we've been uh, walking through a series called Bite Size Gospel. And the purpose of that is, is that we're at Crosspoint trying to get a better uh, fluency on the good news of Jesus Christ, what it is we believe and why we believe it. And so uh, that's what we've been walking through, uh, Shane and I. We've been looking at texts like Genesis 3 and Romans 1 and Isaiah 53, and this week we'll look at Colossians 1. Next week we'll look at Psalms 2. But we're trying to hit the big components, the big aspects of the good news of Jesus Christ. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and make a big leap this morning and say, if you grew up in a Christian home, most likely the first song that you learned was Jesus Loves Me. Can I be, am I pretty, am I on, on par there? I'm, I'm pretty sure that that's, hey, let me take a bigger leap. I would assume that the second song that you learned was um, 
He's got the whole world in his hands. I'm th- can, can we sing it along just? He's got the whole world. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. I really didn't have that plan for y'all to sing it along, but I'm glad I did it. Uh, so what a, what, a, what a beautiful, simplistic song, right? Because the message of that song is basically saying, the God, the creator of the heavens and earth, creates the world, and he cares for his world, right? That's what that, that's what that truth is in that song. Is that what, that's what we're trying to teach our kids, is that he's got the whole world in his hands. The, the world that he created is the world that he cares for. And what I think is interesting from our text today, Colossians 1, 15 through 23, is that in more words than less, is that is what Paul is trying to get across to, to us in, in what he's writing to us in these few verses, is that Jesus Christ is supreme over all things, and the world that he has created, he cares for. So much so that he has given his own life to reconcile it to God. So that truth of he's got the whole world in his hands, is simplistic, but it is true, and it is true of even our text today, is that Jesus being God in flesh, he controls and cares for the world that was created by him, through him, and for him. So let's take a minute just to look at two big points from this text. And the first point is this, Christ reigns. Christ reigns. Christ reigns supreme over his creation and over his church. Uh, you know, if you've watched movies before, which I'm assuming everybody has watched a movie before, uh, with a villain, is that their villains always typically take on this kind of persona of, of world domination, right? I'm going to conquer the world. <laughs> and they got that sweet laugh. <laughs> right? And uh, nobody's resonating with me on that? Okay. Uh, but, but world domination, conquering everything, taking over territories, uh, having people bow down and submit to their to their authority that you know you have these villains who, who do that in movies but interestingly enough there's been some cases in world history where people have got pretty close to world domination if you think about names like Genghis Khan uh, you know the, the guy who um, who got together the Mongol tribes of the Mongolian plateau and they conquered parts of Central Asia um, and, and even after Genghis Khan died his his descendants continued to conquer furthermore and furthermore. They conquered parts of Syria, parts of Korea, parts of um, China. You're right. China. Yeah. Man. Conquered parts of China, Vietnam, Korea. <laughs> I usually get amens. I don't usually get Chinas. Uh, but, um, but what was interesting, and I, I read this fact, I did not know it was this great. But their empire, at its peak, controlled between 11 and 12 million contiguous square miles. 11 and 12 million. That's how far their empire expanded. And y- if you think about even kind of even more, maybe closer to modern day, but the British Empire, right? British Empire was so large and had so much territory that uh, it, it could be said of the British Empire, the sun never sets on the British Empire because they had territories all over the world. So there's been some who have been very close to world domination, to conquering all things. 
And the reason that they failed and were unsuccessful at world domination was not because that they weren't smart enough, they didn't have enough game plans, or wasn't strategic, or their armies wasn't big. That wasn't any of the reasons that they were unsuccessful at world domination. That's not it. Now, the reason that they failed is because there's already a sovereign king who already has world domination over all things. And his name is Jesus, and he doesn't give up his throne or his territory. We already have someone who has conquered and dominated all things, and that is Jesus. And so this is what Paul is getting at in these verses 15 through 23, is that Jesus reigns supreme over all things, particularly his creation that he has made and also his church. And so Paul is just going to pack on titles and, 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 and phrases and Old Testament reference to show this, that Jesus reigns supreme over all things, to show the supremacy of Christ in all things. That's who Jesus is. So he's going to pack on here. First is that Christ reigns over his creation. And the way, that, the way that Paul shows us this, that he reigns over his creation, he's, he draws our minds back to the first pages of the Bible. Look at this, what he says. He that being Jesus is what? Verse 15, is the what? Image of the invisible God. Now, where have you heard the phrase, pop quiz, pop quiz, where have you heard the phrase image of God before? Genesis 1, who was made in the image of God? Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were made in the image of God. They were created by God to represent God, his character, and his attributes to the world. And not only that, they were given dominion and rule to rule over the things of the land, the things of the sea, in the sea and in the skies. That's what Adam and Eve were meant to do. But now Jesus is being called, he, Jesus, is the image of God, of the invisible God. What does that mean? Well, it means this. Unlike Adam, who imperfectly represented God and who imperfectly ruled over creation, Jesus does not fail at that. He comes as the perfect image of God, accurately representing who God is to us. And that he rules over all creation, unlike Adam did. Is that he accurately represents God of the world and has complete dominion over all things. And one day everything will be under his foot. Hebrews 1.3 says it really well. The sun is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. That's what Hebrews 1.3 says. So Jesus is the image of God. He accurately represents God, and he accurately rules over the world. The second thing he says in verse 15 is this. He's the firstborn over all creation. Now that word firstborn is kind of weird, right? Firstborn over all creation. Now, before we get into some ancient heresies, uh, firstborn doesn't mean that he was created or, or any of these things. It's actually a phrase that's used to represent title or status or priority. If you look at Psalm 89, 27, it says that, speaking of David, that he's going to exalt him as above all the kings. So when Jesus is called the firstborn of all creation, meaning he's priority, he's over all things, he, he's above rank and title over anything that has been created because he is not created. He's the firstborn of all creation. He's the first in priority of all these things. Not only that, Paul continues to sack on here. Follow me. Verse 16. He's not just the image of the invisible God or the firstborn of our creation. He's the one through whom creation exists. He's the agent of creation. Is that everything in creation, whatever has been created, owes its existence to Jesus. Everything in creation owes its existence to Jesus. And what a better way to show that Jesus is supreme than to say this, hey, he created you, and he rules over you. What a better way to say that. Why is Jesus supreme? Why does he get to reign over all things? Because you owe his exi your existence to him. 
He is the one who has brought you into existence. All, all, lots of biblical authors have already made this point for us. John 1.3 says this, Through Jesus, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Right? Hebrews 1.2, But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom also he made the universe. Now, I'm going to ask you to use your Bibles just for a quick second and turn to the left to 1 Corinthians 8.6. Because I want us to put our eyes on something to get this really clearly. 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Is that here, even Paul is going to bring this back up. Is What is, what is Jesus' role in this created order? And he's going to make the same point as he's making in Colossians 1. This is 1 Corinthians 8, 6. Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Our existence is owed to Jesus Christ. He is the agent of creation. Through him, everything has been made. And not only that, but everything has been made for him. He brings things into existence for himself. If you have been created, whatever has been created is created for the purpose of bringing glory and honor to Jesus Christ. Jesus doesn't just bring things into order willy-nilly for no purpose. Everything has a purpose. You have a purpose being created through Jesus Christ is to honor and glorify him. That is what your existence is due for. It's for bringing honor to Jesus Christ. But Jesus doesn't just create things and he's not just ruling over things. But the things that he creates, he sustains. Isn't that a beautiful truth? He doesn't just create and just let it go and operate on its own. No, Jesus actually, when he creates, when things come into existence, he sustains them. He upholds them, what it says. I've told people this, and I've already made a joke about Jude and Grant, and Hayes will be in part of that joke one day. Um, but <laughs> having, having these three boys... I, I've I've made this joke. My house is basically up, is being held together right now by duct tape and joint compounds. That right now the structure of my home is basically, I mean, it's being held together right now by tape and spackle. Like that's all that that that's all the structure is, it is upheld by those things. And that's what I think about when I hear the, these phrases that 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 Jesus is sustaining these things. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He brings coherence to the universe that he creates. He holds it together. This is who Jesus is. Again, Hebrews 1.3 says this, The Son is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by the word of his power, sustaining all things by the word of his power. Now, I know some of you might have in your mind, if you know anything about Greek mythology, you might know about Atlas, and you see that picture of the guy holding the world like this, like this. In Greek mythology, Atlas was cursed to hold the universe, and uh, he did so bitterly and, uh, and, <laughs> and not joyfully, let's just say that, right? He did so bitterly and almost passively. It was just holding it, therefore. That's not how Jesus sustains and upholds the universe. Jesus does it joyfully and actively. He's not a passive, uh, just holder of things. 
He upholds and sustains the universe without the word of his power. There's not an atom or a molecule out of place because Jesus sustains it and upholds it at this very moment, right now. Right now, you are alive because Jesus right now is sustaining you by the word of his power. That's who Jesus is. And so all these statements come together. We see this image of God, firstborn of all creation, agent of creation. He's the sustainer of all these things. All these come together for Christ's resume, saying this is why he can reign over all things. This is why Christ is supreme, because he created things and he sustains things. That's who he is. But not only that, he, he reigns over creation, but he also reigns over the church. This is what Paul gets at in verse 18. And he is the head of the body, the church. He reigns over his people. Now, I don't know if you know this about me yet. I'm not a doctor. I know that might surprise some of you. I didn't get into uh, med school. But I do know this. The head is pretty important to the body. Would y'all agree with me on my assessment there? Thank you. This guy over here is with me. He is with me. So the head is pretty Pretty important to the body, right? And so I think this is why Paul is using this metaphor. Is that he's saying, just as the head is that important to the body, so is Christ that important to the church, right? Is that just as the body finds its life and sustenance and growth from being connected to the head, so does the church. The church is founded on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. It does not have life. It does not have growth. It does not have sustenance. It does not have anything if it is apart from Christ. You'll see many churches try and do it apart from Christ. And guess what? They're going to fail. That Jesus is the foundation of the church. The church finds its existence and life from Jesus. It cannot survive without him. And he's proven this by his own resurrection. This is what firstborn from the dead means, is that Jesus has been raised to life, he's been resurrected, therefore promising us as new creations, as people who are in Jesus Christ, that we too will be resurrected. Praise God, right? 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ isn't raised, your life is in vain. But now we have this hope, he is the firstborn from the dead. And then he says, not only that, but he's God. Jesus is God in flesh. The fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. This is who Jesus is. And this is why he can reign supreme over all things. Because he is God. And he has created all things. And so here's a couple of pieces of application I want to I point out to you real quick. Is that what we learn from these verses is that Jesus is Lord over all. He's either Lord over all or he's Lord over nothing. And so what I I would ask you this morning, is Jesus reigning over every single aspect of your life? Is Jesus reigning over every single aspect and component of your life? Or have you designated some parts to say, no, no, Jesus Jesus don't get that. Jesus don't get that area. I, I get to call the shots there. Are you submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in every single area? Because either Jesus is Lord over your entire life, or he's not Lord of your life at all. That's it. This includes every part of your life. Are you submitting to the Lordship and authority of Jesus? Or are you living right now as though it doesn't, his power and authority don't, don't get to tell you how to live? Is that how you're living? 
Because Jesus is either Lord of your life or he's not Lord of your life at all. And then as we hear this word preeminence here at the end of verse 18, that he might be preeminent in everything, that he was raised from the dead to show that, look, Jesus is preeminent over all his creation, meaning he's first, he's the priority. He ranks above all things. And so if Jesus is preeminent over his creation, is he preeminent in your own life? When you begin to think through the things that you invest your time and you invest your money in, your energy, where does Christ line up in that priority list? Is he preeminent in every aspect of your life? Where does he rank? Because if he's behind your job or he's behind your hobbies, then he's not your Lord. He's just a side gig. And for us, Crosspoint, I, I think the one that has hit me biggest from this text, as we think about Jesus being the head of the body, is this. We, Crosspoint Baptist Church and Crosspoint MDO School Ministry, we are dependent upon Jesus. He is the foundation of the church. There's not one person, there's not one pastor, and there's no amount of money, there's no amount of people, there's no amount of ministries, there's no amount of activities, no amount of buildings that will sustain the church. Only Jesus will. And this was a hard lesson for Wes McKay to learn. I'll be completely honest with you. I cannot sustain Crosspoint Baptist Church. I cannot sustain us. I'm weak, and I'm stupid, and I'm ugly. So if you were thinking about building something on my good look, sorry. Wes McKay can't sustain Crosspoint Baptist Church. I will fail you. I will fail you. So don't lean on me. What I ask is, us as Crosspoint, MDO ministry, is the foundation of the church is Jesus. The foundation of the church is Jesus. And he will never fail us. Let us not give up on that. Let us lean more into that. And this morning, I want to give this truth from our text to those this morning that you might have walked in here and you the world is just crushing you right now life is just falling apart around your feet and you're wondering how am i going to wake up in the morning and and get up i don't even know i don't even know how i'm going to do that in in the morning let me just say this to you there's hope even in this text if christ can uphold the universe by the word of his power if he can sustain the world that he's created he can also sustain you He can also sustain you. There ain't enough coffee in this world to sustain you through tomorrow. But Jesus can. There ain't enough products that you can buy, TV that you can watch, places that you can go. But Jesus will sustain you. Jesus will. Because guess what? He's got the whole He's got the, and he has you in his hands. Christ upholds the universe by the word of his power, and not only that, he upholds you. And so Paul ends us right here by giving us who Jesus Christ is and his uh, authority and his sovereignty and supremacy. And now, as one author says, he he actually goes now into verses 21 through 23 to tell us, how does he exercise his authority and sovereignty? This is number two. Point number two, Christ reconciles. Because Christ reigns, we can be confident that he can also reconcile sinners to God. 
Because Christ reigns, because he reigns over all his creation and his church, we can also be confident that Christ can also reconcile us to God. One of the uh, biggest pleasures of being a pastor is um, when I go to Our Lady of the Lake, they give pastors a cool badge, the clip-on badges. And when I walk around Our Lady of the Lake, I walk around with arrogance. I feel like, <laughs> speaking of doctor, I feel like a doctor. Because only doctors and nurses, you know, walk, walk, you know, around with the badges. And we got some nurses in there, you know, I've seen some, I think I've seen Anna around there, and she knows that I'm not a doctor, so, but, but I feel like I'm a doctor. And everybody looks at me like I'm a doctor. The people without the badges, they, they look like I know what I'm doing. And it feels good. And I get my own parking spot, I don't know if you knew that. Pastor get my own spot. And so, you know, when people, how does he get the park right in the front? I just point with the badge. Right here. How do you get the, you don't get to come in after this time. No, no, the visiting hour's over. Do you, see, do you see the badge? Now, if you looked real closely, it does not say Dr. Wes McKay. It just says pastor. And so I, I enjoy the privileges of wearing the badge. Little too much, little too much. And so, but the, the, the badge shows my credentials. It shows off, it, it gives proof to people that I can do these things. I can park here and I can be after this time. It's proof of an evidence of uh, who I am, right? And so what Paul is going to say here in verses 21 through 23 is this, is that the reason Christ can reconcile sinners to God is because he reigns supreme. That's his proof, is that his proof that Jesus is God in the flesh, that he reigns supreme over creation, is that he can reconcile sinners to God. That's his proof right there. If you need proof how he has the ability, you look at verses 115 through 20. He, he can reconcile because he reigns over creation and over his church. Listen to this. But before we go on, Paul has to explain why we would even need to be reconciled in the first place. So he takes a little turn for a second. Look at the first, verse, first words of verse 21. Anybody can say that out loud? What's the first two words? And you. It's like he's pointing his finger at us. And you, and you. So he turns his attention away from showing the, the greatness and the glory of who Jesus Christ is. And he turns his, turns his attention away and he points at us, and you. Now he doesn't talk about us in such great, magnificent terms, does he, right? He doesn't tell us who, uh, who, who we would like to be. No, when he says, and you, he's pointing his finger at us and saying, this is who you truly are apart from Jesus Christ. This is who you truly are apart from Jesus Christ. He says, you are alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Man, it's hard. <laughs> I don't know about y'all, but it's hard when I get up in the morning, I look in the mirror, and you go, oh, God, man, how's Myra married to me? And then I comb myself, and I say, oh, yeah, I see why. Yeah. My brains and things like that. You look in the mirror, and you're kind of, oh, golly, like spook. You don't, you don't like to look at yourself in the mirror when you wake up in the morning. And just as we don't necessarily like to look at ourselves in the mirror in the morning because we see our reflection, we don't look at to, like to look at ourselves in the mirror of Scripture because it tells us who we really are. We'd like to think better about ourselves, but we can't. Scripture won't allow us to. It says that we are alienated, hostile mind, doing evil deeds. Apart from Jesus Christ, we are enemies of God. We are enemies of God. Apart from Christ, we're not impartial to God. We're not neutral to God. We're not unaligned. We're not bipartisan. We are enemies of God apart from Jesus. 
That's who we are. Our minds are hostile to God. Hostile. What Paul says in Romans 8, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. It can't. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot even please God. Apart from Christ, you can't even please God. This is who we are, is that we are alienated and estranged from God. Just as we know, like Adam in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they were exiled out of the garden. They could not be in God's presence. Just as Israel, in their continual pattern of sin, could not be in God's land, they had to be exiled and led captive to a foreign land. So we, because of our sin, we cannot be in God's presence, for He is a holy and just God. And there's no way of getting back into it on our own. But this, this is what makes the gospel so beautiful. This is what makes it so awesome. It's because this is when Jesus comes for us. He said he didn't come for us when we've cleaned ourselves up. He doesn't come for us when we become friends of God. He doesn't come for us when we've made niceties with God. He comes for us when we are enemies of God. When we are hostile to him. This is who we are. Romans 5.10 says it like this. For while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son. While we were God's enemies. While we were God's enemies, Christ came. That's why. And that's what makes the gospel so beautiful. And so Christ comes and he offers up himself so that we can be reconciled to God. Many of you may know about reconciliation. Kids, I know that sounds like a big word. But it's basically when two parties, two people, two groups are mad at each other or they're angry at each other. And they don't want to be friends. They don't want to be uh, with one another. They can be reconciled, brought back together in a relationship, in a friendship. This is what it's saying, is that we have offended God with our sin, and we have made ourselves enemies of God. But Christ, in, in His sacrificial death, has come and offered up Himself, taking on our sin and shame, that we may be brought back into right relationship with, Je- with God through Christ Jesus, through His death. This is what He has done. But what's beautiful about this is not only has Christ brought us back into right relationship with God, is that His death not only brings reconciliation, it actually changes our status of who we are. This is why Paul goes in to say, it's for this purpose that you may be, what, holy and what? Blameless and free from accusation or above reproach. That Jesus doesn't just come to reconcile us back to God, to get us back into a right relationship. He comes to make us new people, holy and blameless, above reproach. Meaning, we are free from accusation. That when we are in Jesus Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation for us, as Romans 8 once says. You may have felt that guilt. You may have felt that shame, that condemnation that you felt. In Christ Jesus, God does not look at you like that. He does not look at you as an enemy, but as a son and daughter. There's no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so he has come not to just reconcile us back to God, but to make us new people, as Second Corinthians 5 says, to make us a new creation, holy and blameless before him. So once where we were hostile, doing evil deeds, alienated from God, look, through Christ, what has he done? He makes us holy and blameless and above reproach. Where we used to be, where we are now in Christ Jesus. Praise God.
Praise God. But verse 23 throws in kind of a little shock to our system. If indeed you continue. So that begins to begins to throw questions in our mind like can can we can we lose our salvation? Can can we lose the benefits of being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ? I don't think that's what Paul is getting at. I think what Paul is getting at is this is he's encouraging them to persevere in their faith. And that perseverance is the byproduct of being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. It's not the criteria. Make that very clear. The criteria for being reconciled is not persevering. That's the byproduct. Those who persevere in the faith, who continue steadfast and stable, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, that is a byproduct of truly being reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. So perseverance is is the byproduct. It shows that we truly have been reconciled. It's not a condition. It's not a criteria. If we don't waver from this gospel that we've heard and received, then we will persevere to the end. And that doesn't mean that doubts won't come. That doesn't mean that questions won't come. Those, those things happen through the course of the journey of faith. But the test is if we continue to abide and remain in Jesus Christ, despite tribulations, despite trials, persevere to the end. That is it. So just in closing, let me give you just three points of quick application real quick. I think what we learn from the, the whole of this text is this. We have too low a view of Jesus and too high a view of ourselves. Let me say that again just for the people in the back if you didn't hear me. We have too low a view of Jesus and too high a view of ourselves. And here, Scripture is not going to allow us to have that understanding, that mindset. Because look, Jesus is exalted. He's supreme. He's good. He's wise. He's gentle. He's perfect. He's all these things. But too often we get those flipped. We think very highly of us and think very low of Jesus. And I would say that's very dangerous. We need to see who we really are apart from Christ and then see who we really are in Christ. Let's make sure that when we speak, when we think, when we act, hey, am I acting out of a framework that says, I'm better than Jesus. I know nobody in here would say that, right? This guy. This guy. See? Yes. Nobody would say that out of their mouth. But we certainly do act like that sometimes. Better than Jesus. And let me go on to say this. Jesus, through his death, was able to reconcile hostile sinners to God. I think that says something about our own personal relationships about reconciliation. Is that if Jesus is able to reconcile alienated, hostile sinners to God, don't you think that you can reconcile your relationships? But if you say, no, 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 you don't know what they've done to me. They're a meanie, they're a jerk, they talk bad about me and gossip about me, They, they say all these mean things. I could never, I could never reconcile that relationship. That could never happen. We can never mend our ways. They will always be a true enemy of me. You know what that's saying? Jesus is able to save us, but he's not able to reconcile us. 
He's strong enough to reconcile us to God, but he's not strong enough to reconcile our relationships with one another. That's what we're saying about Jesus. And guess what? That's the low view of Jesus. You're strong enough to reconcile hostile, angry sinners to God, but you can't reconcile my personal relationships. Those can never be mended. That's a low view of Jesus and a very high view of ourselves. If Jesus is powerful and able to reconcile hostile, angry sinners to God, he's also able to reconcile your relationships with one another. And that if you're both in Christ Jesus, then you have, you have the greatest means and you have the greatest reason to reconcile your relationships. So that means if we have things going on in our church right now or any church in the church in general, and we say, no, I can't, I can't reconcile with them. We say we have a very, very low view of Jesus and a very high view of ourselves. And lastly is this. And I say this a lot to our congregation, so MBO teachers, uh, this will be new for you, but not new for our congregation, is that we're, we are bombarded with things in the world, infomercials that tell us what we need. What we need most in this world. You need this, call, call in five minutes and I'll give you two of them. Right? We, you need this, you need this, you need this, you need this. Look, you don't need a new car, you don't need a new job, you don't need a new spouse, you don't need a new family, you don't need a new house, you don't need a new income. What you need most right now is Jesus Christ to reconcile you to God. That's what you need most right now. There's the gospel. Is that what you need most is not things of this world because they will always fail you. Right now, apart from Christ, you are alienated, hostile to God, doing evil deeds. And one day, Christ will return and he will judge the living and the dead. And he will bring justice to the evildoers of this world who continue to rebel against him. But that does not have to be your fate and your destiny this morning. That's, this morning, Jesus opens wide his arms and saying, I have come for alienated, hostile sinners. That's who I've come for. And you don't have to clean yourselves up. You can come to me, and I will make you right with God. So this morning, I want to encourage you. You might think what you need most in this world is the things of this world. What you need most right now is Jesus Christ to reconcile you to God. And you can have that reconciliation through faith and repentance in Jesus Christ. This morning, congregation, this morning, MBO teachers, let that be our message to the world. As 2 Corinthians 5 says, if that we've been reconciled to God, we now have a ministry of reconciliation. That means we are ambassadors. That means we are seeking others to reconcile to God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we, we love you. God, I I just ask on behalf of myself and of this congregation, let us lean more into your son, Jesus Christ. Is that when we are tempted to think that this church is founded on money, on, on any one person, on any building, on any activity, God, remind us that is such a low view of Jesus that makes him a tag. So God, I pray by the power of your spirit, through Jesus Christ, we pray this. We want Jesus to be the cornerstone of Crosspoint Baptist Church and MBO and school ministry. Let us focus our eyes on him.
for he is worthy of all things because he is supreme over all things, his creation and his church. And he has proven that by reconciling sinners back to you. Lord, stir our hearts this morning to sing, to love, and to go with the good news of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Please stand as we sing together. Thank you.